Turning your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41. Then it came to pass, at the end of two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time. And suddenly, seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh. I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody, in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also, I saw in my dream, 
and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk full and good. Then, behold, seven heads, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice, because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this, and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And... Let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee! So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paaneer, and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of Ar. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt.
Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain, as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. So much food was produced during those seven years, they stopped counting it. It was overwhelming. Welcome to our walk through Genesis. This young man's great-grandfather had been told that through his seed, the nations of the world would be blessed. And here it is happening three generations later. He, as a 17-year-old boy, had shared a couple dreams he had of, that were from the Lord of his family bowing down to him, asking him what they thought it meant. They thought he was bragging and his brothers in his father's absence sold him into slavery, <laughs> took his special outfit that daddy had given him and dipped it in animal's blood and gave it to his dad. Is this your son's coat? And his dad assumed the words that he had been eaten by a wild beast, not knowing his son was alive. And he was sold to a man named Potiphar. He was a good-looking young man, and Potiphar's wife it took a liking to him and tried to seduce him began committing heinous acts of sexual harassment, and when failing, she accused him of attempted rape, which put him in prison. So here we are today, 13 years later. He's 30 years old. Um, he got some hope to, a couple years later by correctly interpreting the dreams for a couple members of Pharaoh's household, his staff, and uh, one was executed, as predicted, and the other one forgot about him. Two years later, Pharaoh has this dream of seven fat cows, seven lean cows, seven fat stalks, seven lean stalks, and the lean stalks devouring the fat. And he's disturbed by it. No one can give him the meaning, at least that would satisfy him. And he knows it's significant. And then the butler remembered, oh yeah, there's this guy in jail this Hebrew that translated my dream for me. Have you ever thought about how inc inconvenient it would be to be hauled off to another country when you're a kid and be sold into slavery and then thrown into prison and falsely accused and having to learn another language? I mean, life was tough, right? But Joseph just persevered. Somehow that dream kept him going forward. In Psalm 105, it says that God had called for a famine in the land. He destroyed the provision of bread, but he sent a man before them. So in spite of the destruction intended by his brothers, God used it as a sending. He sent a man before them who was sold as a slave, Joseph. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord 
tested him. It developed his character. He resisted temptation. He became stronger. He became fit for leadership. And today's reading is the day. He meets Pharaoh. He interprets his dream. And Pharaoh says, well, what do you do? He says, I recommend that you appoint a wise man to oversee this whole project. And Pharaoh appointed him. From the pit where his brothers threw him, to Potiphar's house, to prison, to the palace, to a wife who was Potiphar's daughter. Sorry, Potiphar's wife. Yeah, I have Potiphar's daughter. You can't make this stuff up. And uh, he gets to drive in the second chariot, the place of honor, kind of like being designated to fly in Air Force Two. And um, the signet ring is, is an identity thing. It's also a signature thing. It's like the power of attorney has been granted into him. He is the chief viceroy of Pharaoh, the emperor of that part of the world. Things can change overnight. So no matter what you're facing in life, don't give up. I'd like to speak to you on a subject, the benefits of being patient. This young man was patient. When you have to be patient, you don't like it, right? But the benefit of having to be patient is it develops your patience. It develops. It develops. I had a job for eight years I hated with every fiber of my being. It was the most useless source of income. It was humiliating every day I went to work. But it developed a backbone in me. My worst day of pastoring never tempted me to quit. You hear pastors say, I quit every Monday. I never have done that. I've never written out a letter of resignation, nothing, for two reasons. One, y'all are so awesome, and two, I don't want to park cars for a living ever again. So patience is developed when we have to be patient. Watch this. Have you ever been in a hurry when God wasn't? All throughout the Bible, we see God telling people to wait. Abraham and Sarah waited 25 years for a child. Jacob waited and worked for Rachel to be his wife for seven years and then worked for her for an additional seven more. Joseph waited 13 years for the fulfillment of his God-given dream that he would one day be a ruler. The children of Israel waited 40 years before entering into the Promised Land. David waited over 10 years from the time he was anointed to become king until he was actually crowned king. Noah waited 120 years from the time God told him to build the ark until the time of the flood actually occurred. So why does God make us wait on the dream he has placed inside of us? Here's the answer. What God does in us while we wait is more important than what we are waiting for. Joseph was being made fit for leadership. In this day of rapidly increasing knowledge and fast returns on investments. 
Um, you can buy a house 10 years ago and make huge dividends today. But these things burst. They don't, they're, they're not continuing to last necessarily. But we've got microwave technology. We've got uh, all sorts of things to speed things up. We have automobiles that last longer than they used to and, and can go farther on a take a cast than they used to. And wonderful conveniences. But God hasn't kept up with the times. He still uses time for his purposes. It ripens fruit. There's nothing better than a tree-ripened apple or a vine-ripened tomato. The stuff you get in the store was picked green. <laughs> it may look good. I mean, there's ways of getting it quicker to you, but God is the kind of God that used time for his purposes. He created it. It matures children. If you grow your kids up too fast, that's not necessarily a good thing. And sometimes people get impatient with God, and because he doesn't do things fast enough for us, we're done. Don't want to serve the Lord. Well, this isn't my best life now. I was promised that. <laughs> Joseph wasn't having his best life for years, but then it was preparation. What God was, God was preparing him for his better life. A best life is in heaven, amen? We read this earlier. He sent a man before them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Thirteen long years of waiting on the fulfillment of those dreams. Thirteen long years. We, we live in controversial times where athletes are tempted to take steroids, to fast track themselves into, you know, being hulks for their individual sport. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, God does it his way. No other way. You can't take shortcuts. If you do, you'll pay for it in the end. Because the long road that he uses develops our character. Great success with little character will lead to failure. James wrote, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Who wants to lack nothing? It, patience is part of it. Trials is part of it. This is not a popular teaching. Some may even... Uh, sell books that try to say otherwise, but I'm telling you right now, God has a plan for you. And part of that plan is preparing you, making you more like himself. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also called to be conformed to the image of his son. So he's making us more like Jesus, and this takes time. Maybe you got discouraged that things weren't moving fast enough and you gave up and you left the Lord. Well, welcome back. He's going to use all that for his glory. You made some friends out there in heathen land that he's going to use you to reach now. This isn't a reason to throw things away and run into heathen land, 
But I'm telling you, it's a reason to trust God to restore everybody. Amen. So we're going to talk for the next few minutes on what patience is. The benefits of being patient. Patience is better than pridefulness. Ecclesiastes 7, 8. The patient in spirit is better than the proud. So Joseph, if he had any proud, if he was bragging about those dreams that got burned out of him through 13 years of suffering, tough times. If he was prideful, he would become an oppressive assistant to Pharaoh, and he wouldn't have been used probably to to save the world. Uh, Pharaoh would have had to have had him replaced. Patience is essential for exercising hope. There's nothing worse than having no hope. When people have no hope, they give up. When you're hopeless, your will to live goes. Hope is so important. Hope is the kind of the seed for faith. It's the blueprint for what our faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. But without patience, hope won't last. Romans 5.3, we glory in tribulations, also knowing that tribulation works patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. So David had hope of defeating Goliath because of the tribulation he had of defeating a lion and a bear. See how it works? From glory to glory. From gory to gory to glory to glory. Patience is important enough to be prayed for. Don't let anybody talk you out of praying for patience. That's not biblical. Because there's prayers for patience in the Bible. Here's a couple of them. Paul prayed for the church in Colossae. In Colossians 1.9, we also do not cease to pray for you that you may walk worthy of the Lord, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience and long-suffering with joy. He prayed that this church would have all patience. So if you're suffering, if you're wanting it, you know, if you're being impatient, pray. Have someone pray for you. When everything's going fine, you don't have a problem with impatience, right? Right? Don't pray for patience. You're going to have trouble. Nobody prays for patience that isn't having trouble already. Right? Why pray for something you don't need, right? But when you're in a time of testing, you're needing some patience. Because without it, you could destroy relationships, careers, ministries, marriages. In the church in Thessalonica, he told them, and this was a prayer for them, now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Who wants to be like Jesus? Is he patient? You want proof of that? Just look in the mirror sometime. And tell yourself, Jesus loves you. Thank you for being patient with me, Lord. Patience is necessary for receiving his promises. Who wants to receive the fulfillment of God's promises in your life? Hebrews 6, do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith 
and patience inherit the promises. Beware of cherry-picking the book of Acts. Read the whole thing. Those miracles didn't happen every single hour, every single minute. There were years of suffering and hard times. What was going on? Miracles were in the making. So, you know, we, it's kind of like Facebook. We, we like to read about all the good stuff. Don't post me pictures of your, of your problems, but it's an unreal picture. But if you read the whole book of Acts, God doesn't whitewash our history, redemptive history. It's a whole picture. Hebrews 10 says, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So patience helps us stay constant in doing God's will so that as we continue doing God's will, his promise will come to pass. Cast not away your confidence, which has a great reward. Patience is noticed by the Lord Almighty. He's watching us. Look at these two things he said to churches in the book of Revelation. Revelation 2.2. I know your works, your labor." your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, that you have persevered and have patience and have labored. He noticed it twice in this particular letter. And here again in another one, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. The Lord is looking for patience in our lives. He's looking for it. And when I'm impatient, it displays a lack of trust. It displays lack of wisdom. I wrote a little poem years ago called The Impatient Farmer. Once a wannabe farmer sowed a field for hay, soon he grew discouraged, planting wheat the very next day. Then with great impatience, he plowed up the ground again, this time planting pumpkins instead of that slow-growing grain. Not too long later, he said, I quit and left his farm for good, yelling at his truck for such bad luck, expressing his bad mood, whining, grumbling, and complaining, driving nowhere for hours, with no understanding, I can't be explaining how I planted pumpkins and got yellow flowers. <laughs> Patience is part of our maturing process. We teach our children to be patient. Without it, they're demanding, self-centered little narcissists. Change my diaper and change it now! 2 Peter 1, verse 5. Beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Is it good to have faith? Good to have virtue? Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. If we want to be godly, we need to have patience. Patience is quintessential for godly leadership. Paul, whose leadership was under attack, defended himself, and this is what he said of himself, and he wasn't lying. In 2 Corinthians 6, 4, in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, 
in tribulation. Patience qualified him to do what he did in life as a leader. The same letter, chapter 12, he said, Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in all patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. We want the mighty deeds, we want the signs, we want the wonders, but the patience? Paul truly was an apostle. He wasn't just a man that got tired of pastoring and wanted a promotion and gave himself a, a label. No, he was, he was an apostle called by God. And patience was one of the signs with the other signs, proof of his leadership. 2 Timothy 3.10, he tells a young leader, you have fully known my doctrine or my teaching, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience. Part of character of leadership. The brother of Jesus wrote, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Without patience, we are quitters. Without patience, we run. <laughs> Without patience, we get in too much of a hurry. Patience is required for all true believers. So we can't sidestep it and say, well, I don't want to be an apostle anyway. That's their thing, right? It's required for us all. Paul commanded the church in Rome, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Sometimes our prayers don't get answered the way we want or when we want or how we want. But if we're patient, we'll continue being faithful. We're in a win-win deal anyway, right? Ultimately, we win. Heaven's our home, right? Those who've gone home early are going to show us the way around the place. In the meantime, we're called to be patient. Tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Patience is required for all true believers. He tells the church in Thessalonica to uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Everybody. Well, you'll never get anything done around here. Well, will it last? Some of America's fastest growing churches don't exist anymore. There was probably some impatience at work in the foundation of those congregations. Who knows? To Timothy, he wrote, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. So this is something we are to pursue. So if you're frustrated why things aren't going the way you want, it's time to exercise patience. Examine your heart. Lord, is there any Doors I've opened, and if not, it's just time to stand. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your waist girded with the belt of truth. And again to Timothy, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, 
if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. So as a leader, Timothy needed to be patient with people. Impatient leaders will beat the sheep. <laughs> they get mean. <laughs> Titus was assigned to an island called Crete to establish several congregations there to put them in order. And part of his instructions for these congregations is that the older men should be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women, likewise. I think as young men, we know we must be patient. But when we get old, we've just had to be patient our whole life, and we get sick and tired of it. <laughs> I've had enough of this. But you never, you never come to a place where you don't need to be patient. As long as there's a next generation, there's always going to be opportunities to be patient. Always. Paul understood this principle. At the beginning of his ministry, in his letters, I can show you, he called himself the least of the apostles. Later on, he called himself the least of the saints. Towards the latter end of his ministry, he called himself the chiefest of sinners. The older he got, the more humility he needed. The older we get, the more patience we need. That's why we get to start developing it, young people, in our younger days, so that <laughs> when we're older, we can show the younger the way to go. Revelation 14 declares, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Was he patient? Yes. Think about it. At 12 years of age, he's ready to go into business. I must be about my father's business. But he had to leave the temple. He had to depart from Jerusalem and go back to Nazareth. If you ever go to Israel, go to Nazareth. Talk about humble. It's like a one-goat village in a third-world country. 18 years later, he gets to go public. 18 long years. So our master is not asking us to do something he doesn't do. And talking about patience, he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. However many thousand years was that. Then finally he gets to get started publicly, and three and a half years later, it's over. Hanging on a cross. He rises from the dead. Forty days later, he ascends back to heaven. What was all that about? Well, ten days later, he sends the Holy Spirit, and we get to see what it was all about. And there's a promise of his return, of our reunion with him. We're still waiting on that. At, at, at his ascension, they asked him, you know, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not, to, not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has at hand. So as a triune God, the Father knows when. So even now, Christ is exercising 
as the resurrected man in heaven, the God-man, he's exercising patience. Lord, forgive us for being impatient. Patience is vital to readiness for judgment day. Now, all these things we've said could relate to the life of Joseph, except this one. But then again, it does relate to him, because we're going to see him one day. The Father's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant to him. Romans 2, Paul warns the church, in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, that's the heart that refuses to repent, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. To intentionally live in sin is dangerous. Why? There's coming a time, verse 6, who will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and, and immortality. But to those that aren't continuing impatience in doing good. Immortality in another kind of way. We don't want to participate in that, do we? Back to James. It says, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we pray. The promise is sure, but we must be patient. We relate to time based on our experience. You know, 86,400 seconds every day. We all get it, the rich and the poor alike. The wicked and the obedient. How do we spend it? On things related to our impatience or on things related to the kingdom of God that might require patience. If you're going to be married and stay married, you must be patient. If we're going to be at church and stay at church, we must be patient. If you're going to serve the purposes of God and continue serving his purposes, you must be patient. I know that's not the American dream, but it's the kingdom dream. There is no sidestepping the need It helps me to busy my mind with understanding a little bit of how God relates to time. It's not a formula to live your life by, it is, but it is something to consider. Peter wrote that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years is as a day. So since Christ ascended, it's been around 2,000 years, right? So in the eyes of God, that's like a couple days. So he is coming soon, from his perspective. So I was thinking one day, if a day is like a 1,000 years, what would a second be like to the Lord? Well, a thousand years has 365,250 days in it. You've got to take in the leap years, right? So 
One day equals 365,250 days from God's perception. So one second would be 365,250 seconds. How long is that? Well, you divide 86,400 seconds into it. It comes out to a little more than four days. One second, 1,001, is like four days to God. So don't give up. He's got plenty of time to bring your prodigals home. Don't give up. He's got plenty of time to fulfill his promise to you. Don't give up. <laughs> be faithful. Be patient. Be strong in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for what you've called each of us to do. I pray especially for those who aren't sure what you've called them to do, either because they've refused to believe it or they honestly don't know. I pray, Lord, you, you would reveal to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl in this congregation present in this room today what your purpose is for their life and what the dream is, the calling they have. And Lord, may they pursue it with their whole heart with patience. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. I just want to speak the name of Jesus Over fear and all anxiety To every soul held captive by depression I speak Jesus Your name is power your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. 
Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak his holy name, Jesus. Your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn someone's thinking, oh, Pastor, I just can't do it. It's impossible for me to be patient. In my line of work, I've got deadlines, and when they're not met, it causes all kinds of chaos, and so heads are going to roll sometimes with me. God hasn't commanded us to do anything that's possible in our own strength. We need Him. Amen. <laughs> so when you mess up, get up and repent. I raised my kids begging for their forgiveness. Primarily because of my impatience. So don't give up. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. His shalom peace. Whole peace. Not based on compromise, but based on God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Go get them, tigers. Amen.